Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 14. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. The English philosopher Edmund Burke said... The only thing necessary for triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Isn't that true? If you've been with us, you know that Israel desired a king. And it grieved the heart of God. It grieved the heart of Samuel. Israel wanted a king to rule over them like the other nations. And they didn't want just any king. They wanted a king who looked imposing. They wanted a king who was good-looking, charismatic, tall, dark, and handsome. God gave them, who says? Very good. Saul was everything they were looking for on the inside, on the outside, but he proved to be shallow and rootless and self-absorbed on the inside. And Saul failed to follow the Lord, and he wanted to do his own thing. Look at chapter 13, verse 14. God said, I'm taking your kingdom away from you and I'm giving it to another. Here in chapter 14, Saul has been in office for two years. He chose 3,000 men. 2,000 stayed with him in Michmash, actually in 13 and 14, two years. Stayed, uh, 2,000 stayed with him in Michmash. We talked about this the last time. 1,000 went with Jonathan and Gibeah, and Jonathan and his 1,000 men went to battle, and smote the Philistines. Look at chapter 13, verse 3. It tells us that Saul blew the trumpet. In other words, Jonathan did the fighting. We talked about this last week. Jonathan did the fighting. Saul took the credit. We talked about Saul's Achilles heel last week was pride. And we talked about God hates pride. He doesn't not like it. He hates it. We talked about pride is the silent killer of the service of the saints. When you become prideful, you begin making excuses for your actions, like we saw in King Saul last week. Get the CD. And you become lazy. When you become prideful, you find yourself sitting under the pomegranate tree while everybody else is doing ministry. What do you mean, Pastor? I'll tell you in a minute. I've titled this sermon, Seize Your Divine Opportunity. 1 Samuel chapter 14, we pick up in verse 1. If you're looking at verse 1, say, I'm looking at it. And some of y'all are not looking at it. Chapter 14, verse 1. If you're looking at it, say, I'm looking at it. And it happened one day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armor or his armor bearer, come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison that is on the other side. But underline this, 
he did not tell his dad. And Saul was sitting in the outskirts of Gibeah under, what? A pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. I like the Bible just details. The pomegranate tree is located in Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men. Ahijah, the son of Ahitub. What good mother would name her child Ahitub? <laughs> Bad mom. Ahijah, the son of Ahitub. Ichabod's brother, the son of Phineas, the son of Eli. The Lord's priest in Shiloh was wearing an ephod. But the people did not know that Jonathan had gone over to the camp of the Philistines to take a look. Between the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side, and the name of the one was Bozes, and the name of the other was Sina. The front of one faced northward opposite Michmash, and the other southward opposite Gibeah. I feel compelled to continue to read. Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or what? By few. Underline it. So his armor bearer said to him, do all that is in your heart. Go then. I got your back. I'm with you according to your heart. And then Jonathan said, very well, let us cross over to these men and we will show ourselves to them. And if they say thus to us, wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place and not go up to them. But if they say to us, thus come up to us, then we will go up for the Lord has delivered them into our hand and this will be a sign to us. So both of them, are y'all with me? Both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines said, look, the Hebrews are coming out of their holes where they have hidden. And the men of the garrison called to Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, come up to us and we will show you something. Or come up to us and we'll show you a thing or two. And Jonathan says to his armor bearer, come up after me. For the Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. Let's stop right there. Give me your attention. If you've been following with us, whether here in the sanctuary or via the internet, you know Israel is surrounded by the brutal war machine, the Philistines. And the people are afraid. They're hiding in rocks. Look at chapter 13, verse 6. They're hiding in rocks and caves and holes and thickets. And I told you that the Israelis are worshipers, not warriors. You might want to write that down. The Israelis are worshipers, not warriors. They don't know how to fight. They don't know how to battle. The Philistines are very skilled and scary militarily. Israel didn't have weapons and no blacksmiths. Look at chapter 13, verse 19. They had no weapons and no blacksmiths. Chapter 13, verse 22 and 23 tell us the only weapons in town were in the hands of Jonathan and Saul, and the Philistines are encamped in Michmash. Now, if you've been with us on Wednesday evenings, you know the Philistines are perpetual enemies of Israel, and they're always bullying Israel. The people of God are afraid. They're running away to Gad and Gilead. Here in chapter 14, Jonathan's had enough of being bullied by the Philistines. 
So Jonathan has a sword. We learned that from verse 22 of chapter 13. There's only two swords in Israel. Y'all got that? One Jonathan has, Saul has the other one. Jonathan has his sword, Saul has a sword, and the rest of Israel have farm equipment. And Jonathan decides it's time to see if the Lord wants to do something about this little problem, the Philistines. So it happened in verse 1. One day, Jonathan, whose name means Yahweh has given. Nice name. Yahweh has given. Jonathan said, enough is enough. If my dad won't do anything and just sit under the pomegranate tree with 600 of his boys who are worthless, that's between him and Jehovah. But I'm going to seize a divine opportunity. Jonathan said to his armor bearer in verse 1, come, let us go over to the garrison of the Philistines and see what's up. And he did not tell his dad. I'll tell you more about that in just a second. Now, if you've been with us, you know this is the second time that Jonathan went up against the garrison of the Philistines. You find in chapter 13, verse 2. So now again, the Philistines are gathered at Michmash without number. Chapter 13, verse 5 tells us the Philistines have 30,000 chariots. Were you with me? I told you. The chariots in those days were like having iron tanks. 30,000 of them? Scholars, commentators even question the validity, the accuracy of that number, 30,000 chariots or 30,000 iron tanks, 6,000 men on horses, people numbered like the sand of the sea, that means without number, and they're up on a high plain. And some of them, a garrison, moved to the passage or the path by Michmash. And that's where they set up a strategic location. Meanwhile, back on the ranch, Saul is sitting on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. There are 600 men with him. Remember how many thousands of men did Saul have? I'm giving y'all the answer. What do you think I'm saying? Peace, brother? What more can I do? Saul had how many men with him? I mean, thousands of men too. So I wonder now, he's got 600. I wonder what happened to the other 1,400. Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, the Bible tells us Ahitub is Ichabod's brother, the son of Phinehas. Now, don't you remember in 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 19, before Phinehas' wife died, she gave birth to a boy and she named him what? Ichabod. Anybody know what Ichabod means? The glory of the Lord is departed. Very good. I'm a great Bible teacher. Because at that time, you know the ark of God was captured by the Philistines. Ahitub is obviously Ichabod's older brother, and now he's hanging with Saul. Ahijah is the high priest at this time, and he's wearing an ephod, which is like a priestly apron used to consult with God. So Saul thought it'd be good to have this guy around. Interesting contrast between father and son. Saul was sitting, Jonathan was fighting. Saul trusted in man and his growing army. Jonathan trusted God and didn't depend on man. Saul watched things happen. Jonathan made things happen. Look at verse 1. It tells us that Jonathan decided to go to the Philistines, but he didn't tell his dad. And the reason Jonathan didn't tell his dad is because his dad wouldn't have agreed. He probably would have said, listen, boy, don't do us any more favors. We're in the mess we're in right now because you provoked them in chapter 13. Now leave it alone. 
hand me a pomegranate. Get out of my way, I'm watching The Biggest Loser. Jonathan. Jonathan didn't tell his father because he knew he wouldn't allow it. Because Saul wasn't a man of faith. Are y'all getting this? Jonathan has had enough. Saul has had enough. Jonathan says, let's go down to the camp and do something. Saul says, let's go down under the tree and stay away from the camp. Saul thinks, well, if we can't stop the enemy, then let's hide somewhere. Notice what's not in the camp. What's not in the camp? What's not in the camp is faith in the almighty God. No trust in the camp. No belief in the camp. The king is hiding in fear. I was reading this last night, and I thought about the church today. And I look at the church today, and I see Christians who are cowering and cringing in fear. I see Christians in their own world. I see Christians caught up in the things of the world. I see the church that is powerless and helpless and unable to resist the devil. So the enemy walks into the church and takes away our weapon. What's the weapon, Pastor? Our weapon is the Word of God. Our weapon is prayer. That's why we still have our monthly prayer meeting. We're not giving up on that. We've been doing that for 16 years, 15 years. Third, in case you don't know, third Saturday of every month, we gather in that building over there and we pray Now there's 100, 150 of us. We get together and we pray because prayer is a weapon of warfare that we cannot give up on. The word of God, the shield of faith, the knowledge of the word of God, all of these are weapons. So listen, when the enemy takes away your weapon, then you find yourself just playing church. So we, like Saul's army, appeal, appear to be fighting, a fighting force, but there's no fight in us. We try to act like soldiers, but we're really unarmed and powerless, and we become like a toothless tiger, appearing to be an army, but no weapons. Our weapons, the Bible says, are spiritual. They're not carnal. Am I right about it? 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, memory verse, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, But what says, mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Today, the church is hiding under the pomegranate tree. And we're busy with our buildings and our buses and our budgets and no power and no faith. And we're busy teaching seminars about how to build a big church. How about if we just stand up and be the church? I'm going to wait while somebody clap their hands and say Amen. How about if we just stand up and be the church? We're busy reading books about church leadership. How about reading the Bible? We're busy being busy, and yet we're powerless because we're not in the Word. God is always looking for a few good, faithful men who will stay true to His Word. God is looking for that one man. He only needs one. He doesn't need many. Remember, He can see by by many, or verse 6, by few. God needs just one man, one woman, one young person who will stand up and trust him. God is looking for one person who will hold, the word, hold out the word of God and not be ashamed. Look at verse 3. So Jonathan decides to go check out the Philistines, but the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. I think that's very telling. I think it tells us a lot about Jonathan. 
Jonathan doesn't blow the trumpet and make a big deal of himself. Jonathan obviously doesn't need an attaboy pat on the back. Jonathan was just one of those guys who serve the Lord quietly and nobody knows and they are content to know that they please the Lord. We all know people like that, don't we? And we all love people like that. They just serve the Lord behind the scenes. They don't want anybody to know what they do. They are content to have the Lord pat them on the back and say, well done. The people didn't know that Jonathan was gone. Verse four, so Jonathan looks at his armor bearer and he says, well, it looks like it's just you and me. Let's go to McMash and see what God might do. Notice they head out and they go between the passes. There was a sharp rock. I want you to look at verse four. There was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And one was named Bozes, which means shining or glistening. Maybe the sun hit that rock one morning or something. It just hit the rock a certain way. Not really sure why they named it that. The other is Sina, which means high or lofty crag. Also means thorny. So we know something else about Jonathan. He wasn't lazy. He was willing to travel through rocky, craggy territory to get to this area of Michmash. This area was a very strategic area. Even, watch this, you'll find it fascinating, even later in history. Have you heard of the Battle of Thermopylae? You heard of the Battle of Thermopylae? Well, Thermopylae means hot gates, hot gates. It was 480 BC and the Grecians outnumbered the Persians. The same tactics that Jonathan and his armor bearer used, the Grecians used to hold back the Persians, bringing them into the same narrow area and defeating them. Have you heard of a man by the name of General Edmund Allenby? Uh, Some say that Edmund Allenby, General Allenby, was a Bible-believing Christian. And the story goes, listen, close, during World War I, the general was reading the Bible one night by candlelight after he received orders to capture a village called Michmash. That name sounds familiar from the Bible. So he opened the Bible and he read about Jonathan, his armor bearer, who went over to the Philistines garrison alone one night through a pass that had a sharp rock on one side, on either side. And he continued to read the story and he thought to himself, this pass, those rocky headlands, And that flat piece of ground are probably still there. He woke the brigadier general and they read the story together. They decided to send some scouts out to find the pass. They found it. And it was obviously the same location, those same Bozes and Sina. And high up in Micmash moonlight shined a small flat piece of ground. And then their plans to attack changed. And instead of sending a whole brigade, one company alone was sent along the pass at the dead of night. The few Turks that were silently dealt with and the hill was climbed just before dawn. The Turks awoke and thought they were surrounded by the armies of Allenby and they fled in disorder. Every Turk in Michmash was killed and captured that night. So after thousands of years, the tactics of Jonathan were repeated with success by British forces. This was recorded in, now wait while you clap your hands, that is interesting, isn't it? That's all right. And that was recorded in Romance of the Last Crusade. Someone once said this, and I love this, the Bible will richly repay study, but only if the conditions are observed which common sense dictates. It has no power of working like a charm, so that a chapter read in a couple of minutes by a preoccupied mind can do any good. 
The mind must rest on it and give itself time to perceive impressions. It requires the whole force of our thinking and the whole of our feeling. I love that. Well, notice in verses 6 through 14, 13, 14, as we just read it. But look at verse 6 again. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come, let us go over to the garrison of the uncircumcised. It may be, I want you to underline this in your Bible. It may be the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. No, Jonathan's attitude. Let's go up to the garrisons of these uncircumcised. In other words, Jonathan is saying, these Philistines are outside of the covenant. Who do they think they are? I don't care how many of them there are. They're uncircumcised. Jonathan is angry because they have no right to challenge God's people. They're outside of the covenant. Note the statement, the Lord can save by many or by what, saints? Few. This is probably one of the most remarkable statements in all the Bible. Two men are going to attack an army that looks like the sand of the sea. And Jonathan says, that's nothing for the Lord. He can save with a huge army or he can save with a few good men. It just depends on the heart of the men. God is looking for heart. He does not need numbers. I'm going to say that again. God is looking for heart. He does not need numbers. I'm waiting until you clap your hands. And some commentators, they say, well, Jonathan's being presumptuous here. Listen, I don't think Jonathan's being presumptuous at all. As a matter of fact, I think Jonathan is standing on the word of God. Got a pen? Write this down. Leviticus 26, 8. Jonathan is probably thinking, five of you shall chase a hundred, and a hundred of you shall put 10,000 to flight. Your enemies shall fall by the sword before you. Jonathan could have been thinking about that. Or he could have been thinking about Deuteronomy 28, 7. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to, de- to be defeated before your face. They shall come against, out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. Jonathan knew these verses and probably thought about these verses. And maybe, just maybe, Romans chapter 8, verse 37 Yet in all these things we are, anybody know, more than conquerors through him who loved us. Jonathan knew Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon formed against you shall what? Prosper. It doesn't say no weapon formed against you will be formed against you. It says no weapon formed will prosper. God has different ways of not allowing a weapon to prosper. Your enemy can have a weapon raised and ready to use it against you, and God can take it out of his hand. I need everybody to say amen. Amen. And it won't prosper. God can also allow the weapon to stay in the enemy's hand and allow the enemy to use the weapon against you, and then God uses that for his glory and your good. And now the weapon, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. And now the weapon that the enemy meant for evil, God used it for good. So it still didn't prosper. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Jonathan, hey, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to what? Please him for he who comes to God must first believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Jonathan, I think, I believe is moving in faith. Remembering what God has done. 
He's probably thinking about Shamgar. In Judges chapter 3, verse 31, Shamgar took an ox goat and used it to wipe out 600 Philistines. Maybe he's thinking about Gideon defeating the Midianites with a candle and a jar. Remember, God parted the Jordan. Remember, God parted the Red Sea. God made the walls of Jericho come down with people screaming. And God doesn't want us to be nutty or presumptuous, but God is looking for men who have faith. Faith to stand on the promises of God and not allow your... Faith to stand on the promises of God and not allow your circumstances, your finances, or Philistines to move you and move your faith. I believe Jonathan is the kind of man that would love the heroes of the past. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccary.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.